How's it going, everybody? Welcome to another edition of Beyond the Blind. I am your host, Chris Adams. Make sure you check us out on social media, Facebook, Instagram, all that type of stuff under BTBN. If you're listening on iTunes, I would ask that you hit that subscribe button so that way you'll be notified when a new episode drops just like this one instead of having to constantly check back to make sure I uh, actually did some work and uh, put out something for you guys to listen to. If you jump onto the Facebook uh, page, BTBN, you can check out that green Buckeye Burl hybrid call that I'm going to give away this week. We'll shoot for uh, Friday or Saturday this week and uh, give that sucker away. There's What you do is you subscribe, like, share, and uh, tag some buddies in the comments as well as hit done. And uh, that'll get you some extra entries into it. Um, You can also join the BTBN podcast group. That's the easiest way to uh, keep up with everything new that's going on. If you guys have people you want me to reach out to talk to, make sure that uh, you let them know. And uh, you can put it there, and I'll do my best to reach out and try to hit everybody up. Anyways, uh, yeah. Yeah, we're on the other side of the 4th of July. Um, I don't know if the last podcast took place after that or not. It's been crazy, man. Uh, Between June and July, I think I have four weeks where I have two kids' birthdays and then a 4th of July right in the middle of that. So this whole month has been crazy busy. Um, It's hot. There's uh, calls to turn, grass to mow, honeydews to do, and it's just constantly hot. And uh, we've been going to the lake a lot, trying to really get out and enjoy that and uh you know do the dad thing and uh it's been a lot of fun but anyway i got another good one for you guys today i had him back in march or april come on and he had just started making calls a few i want to say a month or two before that and he has really taken off over the last couple months um i just his style's super cool kind of get an update on you know how the summer's going and what he's been up to and i don't know chat about what the heck is going on with life um yeah it'll be a good one hopefully you guys enjoy it um without any further ado mr brad eldridge all right brad how you doing man good how you doing oh not too bad i saw that you posted some calls up right right before and right after i did so uh you out working out in the shop today no, I'm I'm actually in my office right now. Uh, that's some calls that uh, I've done over the last week or so, and I just I really hadn't had a chance to sit down and post anything and uh, kind of put them all together in an album. Nice. That's a good way to do it, man. When you can actually sit down and look at everything and do the social media nonsense stuff too. Right. Yeah, <sighs> cropping pictures and trying to get them to look just right it's always uh, a little time consuming and this time of year i'm just crazy <laughs> so much other stuff going on well and that's kind of the crazy thing i thought you were off today because you said you had a little bit of time to talk but i didn't know you were at work yeah i, I work right down the road from my house and uh, a lot of times after i've gotten everything done for the day i'll have an hour or so in the afternoon that i can kind of break free and take care of something in town or yeah do something like this okay so i've talked to a lot of different guys about what they do you do crop stuff right 
Yeah, I trade grain. So yes, that's right. We, uh, yeah, we, we buy corn locally in this area and ship it into the chicken mills. And then we buy oats internationally and ship them all over the southeast and really all over the country. So, Dude, that's – like how do you get into that? Because that's a wild – like I don't know. It seems crazy. Is it just something that you always have done? Well, growing up, my family farmed – uh, not immediate family like my dad wasn't a farmer, but his cousins and most of my dad's side of the family did farm. And because of that, I got jobs with my, you know, second cousins and stuff, checking crops when I was in high school during the summer. I would, you know, I had several different agricultural jobs. And uh, in high school, my, my best friend's dad was a a grain trader over here and I always wanted to work for him and he always told me to go sow my wild oats and we may have even talked about this in the last episode I don't remember but um, he he, he told me he was going to call me one day and offer me a job and and he lived up to his word so 15 years later after I'd been in a couple of different industries and you know really had no uh, no plan or thoughts of, of moving back to you know my home stomping grounds area in, in mound and uh going to work he, he called me one tuesday night around christmas and i was like oh my god this this guy's calling me talk about hunting you know and uh i answered the phone and he was like man you've been on my heart and want to bring you in and teach you how to trade grain and so i got off the phone and told my wife we're moving to mound and we are <laughs> we are here <laughs> how did that conversation go down with her <laughs> initially because uh my wife we've lived in baton rouge and shreveport and monroe so we've pretty much uh, our whole relationship we've been in a major city and she's kind of used to the amenities of of a city but uh after being here she loves it and it's it's like a breath of fresh air to be we're less than 10 minutes from walmart or anything you know that we want to do like Vicksburg's a 30,000 person town and and has you know plenty of restaurants and stuff like that so we're less than 15 minutes from the furthest point in in Vicksburg yet it feels like we're in the middle of nowhere Uh, we're a quarter mile off the interstate but it's just like we have these big sprawling yards we got about five neighbors they're all family and they're my my boss and his family and uh, his wife's family so it's uh it's pretty comfortable i I like the uh the slow pace and it's kind of like when you look at what's going on in our country today to to live in a place where we don't really experience any changes in in the country it's it's kind of refreshing yeah dude it is it's so wild like i've grown up and lived in springfield up here for the longest time you know i had that time where i moved away for a while but uh when i came back i lived like 15 minutes south where we're at in a smaller town of like 15,000 and it's just because How big is Springfield? Springfield's 180,000. Okay. So, it's it's pretty decent size. It's like right on the small city side of things. But uh it's uh moving out away 15 minutes, you know, like I said our our town where I live in Nixa now is 15,000 and it just feels far enough away to where life is normal. You don't have a bunch of crime, traffic. You're Mm-hmm. Springfield had a bunch of protesters shutting down like main streets and stuff like that. Like we don't have any of that nonsense up here. Yeah. It was 
like groundbreaking because somebody graffitied uh, BLM in the city hall, like on the brickwork of city hall out here in Nixa, and it was cleaned up in like an hour and a half. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, how far are you from St. Louis? Mm, I'm three and a half hours southwest of St. Louis, and I'm about two and a half hours directly south of Kansas City. Okay. So it's like, um, you know where Branson's at? Everybody knows Branson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we're 20 minutes north of Branson. Okay, yeah, I think I've probably been to Springfield, you know, going to Branson, and I think we've gone up into Springfield before, so. Have you been um, to the, the Big Bass Pro? Yeah, yeah, definitely. that's where we got the. That's our our claim to fame as Bass Pro, and when I was overseas, everybody's like, "Oh, Springfield, like the Simpsons, right?" And I was like, "Well, one of the <laughs> one of the Springfields that the Simpsons claim." That's funny. So, do you go to St. Louis much? Uh, I'm not as big of a St. Louis fan as I am a Kansas City fan. Most uh-huh. of my relatives are all out of Kansas City, and. Uh, I go to St. Louis for vacation every now and then. I, it's weird to say vacation, but like take the kids up to St. Louis Zoo and the Arch and stuff like that. But yeah. definitely ran around there a few times. It's been crazy there for the last few months. Dude, it's been crazy. It's been crazy there for everywhere, life. but 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 really, there's been a lot of turmoil in St. Louis. So. Man, um, St. Louis is one of those weird places that has always been really crazy in different parts of it you know because you had ferguson happened uh what five years ago six years ago and then there's there's parts of st louis you know people from springfield down here don't really understand the big city mindset because it feels like a town even though it's a city like it over almost two hundred thousand. that's pretty decent sized and uh people but it's really laid back like if you look at a lot of the studies they say that Springfield is one of the most dangerous cities in America, which is absolute huh. nonsense. Because, like, percentage-wise, it's super low, and you would like there, you could walk down any street of Springfield at any time as a man and feel fine. Like you know, you'd be fine. And um, but like people from here think that they're gangsters and stuff like that. And then there's places up in St. Louis. And there's some parts of Kansas City that you don't go. Um, We were heading out to Daytona one year when I was 16 and my buddy was 18. And he was driving out to Daytona. And uh, he was like, dude, do you want to just stop and fly out to Daytona from St. Louis? Because traffic was horrible up I-44. Three and a half hour trip was taking six hours to get to St. Louis alone. And I was like, well, you know, I wasn't planning on flying. You know, this is a bunch of extra money. <laughs> and he was like, he had just inherited a bunch of money. He was like, oh, don't worry, man. I got you. I was like, that's totally your call, man. Like, I, I brought enough to pay for my share of gas. If you're wanting to do that, go for it. So uh, we did that, and we were looking for the airport in St. Louis. And this is back before iPhones and, you know, all that type of stuff. GP, Garmin wasn't even really a thing yet at that point. Like, 04, 02. And uh, we saw a sign that said airport. We got off. We ended up in East St. Louis. And, uh, yeah, we got lost in East St. Louis for four hours. And if you look statistically, that's, like, number two, number three away from uh, Southside Chicago and uh, Detroit for the most dangerous cities in America, like, legitimately. 
and uh, we got lost, and we eventually found a cop station, police station, and uh, I was like, dude, let's just pull over here and ask the police for directions. Like, we're getting to, it's getting ready to get dark. <laughs> we're a bunch of kids, you know, from freaking Springfield. It's getting dark, and uh, people get shot up here all the time. There's no left turns in uh, East St. Louis is kind of the saying because you have to wait for a light to turn left where you can just yield turning right. <laughs> so uh, we walk into the police station, and the only door that's open goes down some stairs. And, I mean, when I say this is a police station, this police station looked like it was from, like, 1950, and the light out front didn't work, like that type of thing. So, uh... I go down these stairs into, like, this opening, and all of a sudden I'm in the freaking jail walking by cells. And I was like, oh, wow. what is going on? And I opened the door, and the police officer looked at me and goes, what are you doing here? I said, dude, I am lost. I need directions back to Missouri. Like, we were trying to get to the airport. He goes, how long have you been here? And I said, I don't know, four or five hours? He goes, you've been here for four or five hours driving around? I was like, yeah, dude, we are so lost. He's like, all right, I'm going to call one of my officers. Get behind him. We're not going to stop at stoplights or anything like that. He'll run freaking lights, and you guys just follow him till you get out of here. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow. you know, growing up, dude, I'd never even seen any real crime here in Missouri uh, yeah. like that. Yeah, I grew up in a town in 2000, and, and the, the worst crimes we have would maybe like somebody – yeah, stole something from the grocery store. Yeah, hit a but, mailbox um, with a baseball bat. <laughs> right, we were doing some of the worst crime in town. <laughs> Off of a golf cart. But, um, but no, uh, yeah, when I lived in New Orleans, I, I was a ship agent down there, so I took care of ships when they came on into our ports. And uh, a lot of times you had to take cash to master. And so you would go out to meet the captain of the ship, the master of the ship, and Sometimes you'd be taking him fifty to a hundred thousand dollars in cash, Ooh. and so like a week and a half in, they're like, "Hey, we need you to board a ship. Um, he's going to be coming in at ten thirty tonight into uh, Port New Orleans. You'll go catch a launch boat out of uh, Araby, and you know your package will be waiting on you." I'm like, I had no idea anything about this job. I had been working as a tanker on the river. Somebody had told me about this company. They happened to be hiring an agent. I got the job, and, and it was an awesome job. But uh, so I go pick up the package, and I see this clear bag with just stacks of $100 bills in it. And I was like, I know where I have to go. I have to drive right through the ninth ward of New Orleans. Ooh. And so, yeah, um, week into the job I've got $70,000 cash in my front seat and I'm sitting at red lights with crackheads all around my car in the ninth ward at 1039 so pretty nerve wracking yeah puckering up pretty good right <laughs> did you uh did you always have to take like tugs and stuff to get out to these other ships not always sometimes they'd be at the docks and we would you know just walk out on the dock and load the ship and board the ship but sometimes they'd be tied off at midstream anchorages and that's when we would take crew boats out there little launch boats you know any tug the tugs pull the ship into you know kind of guide the ship into the port yeah but um i had a, a buddy we were uh if when i was in the navy if you miss the ship pulling out of port you're you're in deep trouble like you can be late <laughs> 
you can do all this other stuff, but you better be back for ship's movement because these ship will leave your butt there. Uh, yeah. And you will be yeah. in a hell of a lot of trouble when you finally get back to the ship because, you know, you're going to jail for a month, guaranteed. You're probably going to lose three or $4,000 and you're going to have to work extra. Like when everybody else goes home, you stay on the ship and you do manual labor. Like kind of old school mindset. So one of my buddies, he wasn't back. And uh, we were supposed to pull out at like 9 a.m. that morning. And they pull the brow, you know, the little uh, bridge that connects the ship to the pier at like nine or 8 o'clock, like an hour beforehand. We start pulling brow, get the tugs hooked up, you know, cast off, do all that stuff. And uh, we had done that. This dude jumps onto a tug at 9.01 from the pier. And you know how far down the tugs sit from most piers. It's like an eight-foot jump down. He jumps off the pier onto a tug, gets onto the captain's gig, the little rope ladder, climbs up that with the pilot that's, you know, directing the ship out of the, uh, out of port through the canals and stuff like that. And, uh, he still gets in trouble, but I was like, dude, how can you get the dude in trouble? He just pulled some freaking James Bond stuff. <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah, they, they don't wait around there that every every minute counts. It costs money, all the demerge and everything. When the ship's, it's time to go, they're like, all right, you got to go. You know, that's that was the big thing with the ship agent job is you had to be out there before the ship was ready to sail. Uh, if you held them up, it would cost us a lot of money. So. Oh, yeah, because it throws off every other ship pulling in and pulling out of port and all that good stuff. Definitely. Well, look, we talked right before we got onto the the call. We, you know, we spoke about your uh, you just put some calls out, and I was admiring the inlays. And like I was saying, it just seems like every time I make a call with an inlay, it just doesn't come out just perfect. Uh, there's always like a little bit wide spot or a little wave to it. What what's some of the secrets that you have? Okay. Well, I've only been doing inlays for a couple months, so I'm far from an expert on it. And um, what are you using for your inlay material? Trim rings. Trim rings? Okay, from like a, a billiard site? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, that's that's where I've been using it from because that was always my biggest hang-up on it was I don't want to have to freaking... Because I got a drill press when I first started calling or call making, and I never used it. I like drilling on the lathe a lot better. Um, it's just easier for me. Uh, it's the way I've always done it. So I sold my drill press, and my buddy's like, "Well, heck, man, you can just start doing inlays by go get, you know, a sheet of copper or whatever, and drill a hole into it on the press." I'm like, "Well, I don't have a drill press, <laughs> so I don't know how the heck I'm gonna do it." Well, then um, Channing told me to uh, look up these billiard cue making sites, and. Uh, you know, they had the prefabbed ones that you can get whatever color, whatever material you want. And that's what I got. Um, when I do my inlays, I do the pre-build of everything out. Like, I'll turn down the barrel to the tenon part of it. And I'll fit up everything first. And I'll make sure it's just perfectly flat. You know, I'll take off the tip or whatever I'm going to use after the inlay and I'll make sure I sand everything flat on like a flat surface with some sandpaper on there and I'll flip it over and look to make sure there's no like smooth parts of it left to where you know that you see that it's actually been sanded all the way flat to the surface 
and then I'll fit it back up and I'll try to press everything really tight with um, not overly tight but with like clamps just to make sure everything's flat and lined up because you know you always get a little bit of run out on the lathe there's always just a slight amount even if they're dialed in perfect if you're not using you know a big huge CNC even CNC's have run out but uh I try to make sure it's lined up as best as I can and then <coughs> if I'm doing like a three piece setup <coughs> I'll obviously put the glue on my first ring down and then I'll slide that on the tenon and I'll do a little bit of glue in between each one and then I'll glue the whole uh the cap that I'm using as the tip and glue the interior of the cap um, and slide that on and put everything in uh, clamps and I'll try to use just a, you know a square on both sides so it's putting pressure equally all over the whole thing and you know and let that dry and I haven't had any real problems sometimes I'll get glue lines in between it though and that drives me nuts and I think that just yeah. comes with practice yeah the um the thicker ones I don't have as much problem with, but it seems like the the really thin ones, like the .015 width, when when I turn it, it some of it will be thin, but then some of it kind of almost like mushrooms out, if you know what I mean. Like yeah, it kinda, yeah. It shows up thicker on the, the call, and I don't know if there's a sanding method or if I just need to cut it a little bit more with, my, with one of my tools, but... And also, like, I do the kind of the doorknob stopper on the insert, and right where a, a, a cap would naturally go is kind of where I start making my transition to, like, I guess the widest part of my insert where it's going to start tapering in as a, as a round end. And it just makes this, you know, the, that metal material doesn't cut as as easily as the wood around it so it just creates almost like this little this little hump where the inlays are mm-hmm. and and i mean it, it works better if i do one where you do the like inlay and then like if you do african black wood insert where it comes out and then do a little small inlay and then a little section of the barrel wood and then african black wood on top because it doesn't put the inlays in that round part but if I try to just do a cap, I don't like it. So, yeah, it, it forms a weird little hump. That's one thing that I've had to really, really take a lot of time and, like, keep sanding. Because, <laughs> like, I'm looking at the LSU one, the theme call that you did the other day. Like, those look like they came out clean. Is that what you're talking about, that little section right there? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I did, I did a cap on that, didn't I? Yeah, yeah, you did uh, a cap right yeah. at that doorknob part of it right and it, it came out a little better <laughs> i think but i don't know i can't remember just, are, you, are you using hhs or are you using a uh, carbide i use carbide tools carbide see i almost wondered i was messing with mine today and i have i think everybody has the same problem where uh they just don't cut as freely as wood does when you're cutting against metal. You know, it's kind of like when you're trimming bands and stuff like that down. Um, I had to go over it a few times, and I even rotated my round cutter just to get a fresh piece of it to try to do that little bitty finesse part of it and give it fresh. Because I think what, I think that mushrooming, that thick part of it, 
is coming from possibly the cutter being dull and bending the metal to fill in mm-hmm. versus uh versus get, yeah versus getting a clean cut maybe you could also start with like a heavy uh like what what grit sandpaper do you start sanding with typically i start with two tw- uh 220 unless it's something that's you know I feel like needs a little bit more uh, friction at the beginning, but but yeah, I usually start with 220. Yeah, 220 is pretty safe. Um, on I've tried with inlays. I've got 150 that I keep, and I've tried that just to start with inlays to try to take off that little edge, maybe mm-hmm. to see if that helps. But I don't know. I feel like heating it up too much might might melt it. Um, you know, because it's metal after all, and it's super thin. I don't mess around with the super thin inlays, like you said. I uh, I bought the thicker ones on purpose. Yeah, yeah, the thin ones. Look, I should probably be talking to Kent Eason because I, I notice he does a lot with the thin inlays, and they're always so perfect, and they look so good. Like he puts the thin inlays in the cause when he's doing like sections of barrel wood on the center part of the insert, and uh, it's just so perfect and clean. Yeah, I'm trying to pull up his right now to look at his. He needs freaking Mr. Kent. You need to update your uh, your Instagram, brother. You only got two calls on there. I feel like he had way more than that. Maybe I always look at his Facebook, looking at him. I wish I had. I, I let my wife have my ins like my Instagram page for the first few weeks. Now we're both logged into it, but I just don't think about putting stuff on there enough. I wish I had somebody dedicated to it because my wife's no more dedicated than I am. She's got 50 <laughs> irons in the fire, so she, you know, she would. Everyone's always should be like, "Hey, you need to text me a picture, give me some content." And so now I'm I'm trying to do stuff too, but I don't know. Man, I don't know if I want to get much busier than I am right now. <laughs> it's tough, dude, with so many freaking irons in the dang fire. I feel you. Between doing the podcast, making sure, trying to pay attention to the numbers, and then call stuff. Like, I used to put a lot more time and effort into, like, trying to market calls and stuff like that. Now I'm just to the point that I don't care. If people want to buy them, they buy them. If not, I'm just going to turn whenever I need the stress relief of it. And, uh, yeah, it can get overwhelming doing all that stuff. Yeah, he does use some super thin ones. Yeah. Well, speaking of irons in the fire, I guess uh, I'll shame, shamefully or shamelessly put this plug in here. Uh, this this will be a kind of a sneak sneak peek and uh, an offer to the listeners of your podcast because I haven't advertised it otherwise. Um, I'm actually tonight or tomorrow night having dinner with a guy that uh, we're going to discuss a situation where I may have access to. 15,000 acres of some really prime uh, Mississippi Delta land that we're going to probably put on like three or four three-day weekend hunts uh, using, he's got a couple of lodges, but I'd probably use my the old bed and breakfast that we talked about last time yeah. as, as the lodge. And it'll be kind of a package deal where it's a, a lot like the the benefit that I did with uh, Raggio and Ed Wall. I mean, obviously, I'm not a Raggio, and my pictures probably won't be an Ed Wall picture, 
but uh, the the access to the land that I'm I'm gonna be getting is gonna be some really beautiful uh, agriculture with sloughs and you know stuff backwater off of rivers running into it. I mean, it's it's some of the most gorgeous raw land that I've ever uh, ridden around and seen, and so it'll be like a package deal where you get. Uh, you know, every hunter gets a, a, a hunter called from me, like a, a African blackwood hedge or cocobola. They'll get a choice of the three woods, and then um, room and board at my place for three days and three hunts. You know, a Friday morning, Saturday morning, Sunday morning hunt, possibly a skeet shoot, maybe even a, a pin raised quail shoot one afternoon if if everything if all the stars aligned, but definitely three duck hunts room and board and, and a duck call so, and pictures I'm going to take pictures through the weekend and so I'll try to edit up some pictures and have you know a few high quality photos of the hunt very cool man are you going to you said you're going to do it as a benefit no I'm, the benefit is what gave me the inspiration to really turn duck calls in general but also just to uh, be able to put something like this together not necessarily in benefit form but just you know i've always wanted to guide a few hunts yeah nothing you know nothing to keep me so busy that i can't enjoy the, the season with my friends like i always do but you know four weekends i think uh spread out like two in each split or maybe one in the first split and then you know one late december and a couple in like early and mid-january and uh just just to be able to you know put a little cash aside for for my hobby and addiction all the, the hunting <laughs> and everything that i do and just to be able to kind of meet people and fellowship with people and you know just yeah. to, dude that's super cool like uh you already got the uh the bed and breakfast side of everything going on. <laughs> yeah, that's what's kept me so busy. I couldn't turn a duck call for the last few days, and uh, it's been ever since COVID's kind of calmed down and people aren't freaking out about it. I've been slammed with my bed and breakfast, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, during hunting season, I block out all the weekends because if you're not getting up at four, you probably don't want to stay at my bed and breakfast. I'm banging around there you know every weekend and several days a week too so that's super cool man speaking of the bed and breakfast i remember you talking about this farmhouse that you guys bought you know when you uh when you moved back was it always a bed and breakfast when you first got it or is that something you just i don't remember you saying that you were doing a bed and breakfast on the last episode i may not have but uh we bought an old it was a hotel built in the 1890s yeah. It was an 11-bedroom hotel, which it's got seven bedrooms now, but uh, it wasn't a bed and breakfast. It's been, people, like, several families have lived in it over the last 100 years. It was built in the 1890s, and after we, we made up a couple of rooms downstairs, our rooms, my wife and my two kids' rooms are upstairs, and after hunting season and you know we were having people coming over friends and kind of unof- i was unofficially guiding a few hunts i've had you know word of mouth like somebody that i used to work with in shreveport reached out and was like hey i've got a guy that wants kind of a guided hunt experience i told him about you and he actually came over and brought his son and they hunted but after hunting season my wife and i were like you know we could 
have a little stream of income and meet people from all over the place and um, you know just try it out I love cooking and so we we put it on Airbnb and over the last year and a few months we've had it we started like April last year we probably had 40 50 guests and so it's usually averages about eight days seven or eight days a month and half of the guests have been foreign it's crazy because we live in one of the most rural areas in the middle of northeast Louisiana and most of our guests come from uh, Europe like the UK um, you know Germany France Italy South Africa Israel Poland I mean we've had people from all over the world it's been insane my kids get to play with people that they kids they can't even like conversate with (laughs) yeah dude that's super cool i was totally gonna say you were talking about it being out in the middle of nowhere i was gonna say what do you what do they do they just well it's usually just there it's a corridor that they take most of these people are traveling through the middle of the country and they hit places like nashville memphis and then we'll be like a halfway point between memphis and uh new orleans Gotcha. And then, and then the other DNA of people has been uh, people from out west, like Oklahoma, like Texas and Oklahoma people going to the beach. We're about a halfway point for them. So we've had very few people that used our place as like a destination. It's we're like I said, we're so close to the interstate that we're just you know a, an easy little stop through. And we've gotten some really heartfelt reviews from people that stayed and enjoyed the breakfast and the you know the little unique things like fresh figs and honey from my front porch and <laughs> dude <laughs> yeah, that's super wild yeah what's the what's the craziest thing you've ever seen while doing it um craziest have thing you, have you had somebody that uh, left something or something you're like what in the heck <laughs> I had a guy reach out in advance of coming and was like hey do you mind if I bring you my metal detector I was like, all right, I mean, as long as you're not, like, excavating in my yard, you know. He's like, I'm just going to bring a small shovel. So he walked around out my yard, and, like, he found a couple old spoons and stuff like that. Um, Our first guests were from Australia, and I thought it was a scam because I was like, come on. Like, I put this listing up. It's My wife didn't even know that I put the listing up. So she goes to the listing. She's like, Brad, you make it look like a haunted house. Like, it was a couple of scary looking pictures of our bedroom and i mean it just it, it was it wasn't very professionally done i'll say that and so we get a booking from queensland uh australia and i was like oh here we go and uh it turned out to be three people our age um in their early 30s two two girls and a guy and they were going they went buffalo new york chicago uh nashville memphis Clarksville, Mississippi, birthplace of blues. Um, us, Natchez, New Orleans, and then flew out to LA and went to Coachella. And so when they first, when they when they got here, I mean, they were so cool. It was crazy because just we're so alike in terms of you know human beings and our age and everything, but we're so different in terms of just like just culture culture yeah and things that we did my wife it was my wife's birthday and she brought home a cookie cake that a friend of hers got her american great american cookie cake not only had they never had great american cookie cake they had never even heard of the concept of a cookie cake i was like dude uh, this 
you could be a multi-millionaire if you went out went back home and came out with great australian cookie cake i mean it, that that place is huge so uh being in australia they obviously back in like i think it was the 90s they had the big gun grab where they basically disarmed the country and uh, so none of these guys none of these people had seen a gun like none of them had ever held a gun so I was like, well, hold my beer. <laughs> <Let's> <laughs> right. go get some, we went and got some sporting clays from Walmart, came back and threw ski for these people. They had a blast. <laughs> yeah, Australia is one of the weird countries where they like, they gave them guns, they gave them like money to turn in their guns and stuff. Right, buyback programs, yeah. Yeah, that's that's insanity. It works in Australia probably because everybody's chill and laid <laughs> laid back as can be. Dude, there's a lot of stuff that can kill you in Australia. That is the one place I want to go. You're more you're more apt to die from a, a natural like predator than than you are a gun in Australia. But yeah, gun buybacks don't work here because you got guys out in the parking lot undercutting the the buyback people. <laughs> yeah, dude, it's, it's I'll pay you ten dollars more. Well, it's like Canada. Right when this whole COVID thing, you know, started off, they had a bunch of uh gun bans and they're talking about banning the 12 gauge and i've been reading articles you know the past couple weeks about how they're not going to open the border like i don't think people are going to be hunting in canada from america this year yeah that's gonna that's gonna put a damper on the canadian economy because there's a lot of hunters that go up there every year and it's gonna probably help some of the northern states which I've heard, and I don't really follow it closely, but I've heard that there will be some states restricting them out of out of state hunters, and uh, you know, it, it's going to be a weird season. I, as long as they don't ban me from hunting Mississippi or Louisiana, I'm okay. Just well, don't tell me I can't hunt those places because I don't want to be an outlaw, but I will. Right, right. Well, especially being out to where you have, you know, far less. Like you probably know your game warden, <laughs> like you know he. It's probably one for a very large area with not a lot of people. Yeah, we have a few. Uh, I've never encountered. Knock on wood, I've, I've never encountered a, a game warden on the on the Mississippi River where I hunt mostly. Uh, one of my high school buddies is a game warden south of here in like a in a game reserve that we hunt and have a camp in. So. Uh, call him. I'm like, dude, you're such an outlaw. How are you a hunter now? I mean, a game warden now. <laughs> dude, I, I can't tell you how many times that I've ran into buddies that I haven't seen since like high school. I'm like, dude, you're a cop now. Like all the <laughs> stupid stuff we used to do back in the day. Like you had to lie about your on your interview <laughs> because there's no way. Yeah, that's definitely the equivalent of a cop doing illegal stuff. Yeah game warden that he's, he's like a reformed outlaw it's like dude you just did it so you have immunity now you can just outlaw out of your game warden truck <laughs> nah I'm kidding no yeah right people will be freaking out <laughs> man but we've never really had any bad interactions with a game warden um, usually they're all super nice and pretty professional The where I've had more problems with is freaking law enforcement while hunting and uh They'll come up and they'll be like, hey, people are reporting, you know, shots. And we're like, well, yeah, we're duck hunting, dude. Or, you know, goose hunting. And they're like, oh, okay. You know, usually it's that kind of interaction. We had one where they detained us when we were on the lake for like 30 oh, wow. minutes. 
Yeah, they were on the on the lake, wanting to run everybody's information for hunting on the lake, and uh, they're like, "Hey, you guys need to pull over here," and we were motoring back, you know, across the lake, heading back to the ramp, and they're like, "Hey, you guys need to pull over here," and we're like, "All right, what's going on?" They're like, "Well, this is a private property. You guys are inside city limits," and we're like, "Well, no, city limits stop at the waterfront. We're on, you know, on the lake. We know we're." where it's at we knew the game warden down there as well and they're like well no you're out here uh that's scaring people because they're hearing gunshots and of course they're down by branson area they're like well you're legally allowed to hunt here i was like i'm sorry but you know like well we just can't have you out here scaring people i was like dude there's a roller coaster across the freaking way that scares people but it's illegal too like i don't know what to tell you man and they're like, well, do we need to call uh, the game warden? And my buddy says the game warden's name. He's like, hold on, let me call him for you real quick. And he freaking gets him on the phone. They talk to the police. All right, well, you guys, uh, sorry for the misunderstanding, but you guys just have to understand where we're coming from. I'm like, I get it. You're trying to do your job, but, like, don't come up here and tell me I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, that, that's something we don't really – most of our law enforcement are good old boys down here, and so – yeah, we. I was, right when I moved here, I was coming down the highway, taking my daughter to uh, school. I was coming back to work and came up on a deer in the road that had just been hit. And so I got, got pulled her on the shoulder. I got out and I started dragging him off the road. And it was like he came back alive. I pulled him down the ditch and he took off running and ran right into like a treetop that stood there. So I walked to the car and got my gun out and shot him, finished him off, and was loading him in the truck. And the cop pulled up <laughs> and uh, he's like, "What are you doing?" I was like, "Well, I was just, you know, finishing this deer off, putting him out of his misery, and I'm gonna go clean him and eat him, you know, put him up." And he was like, "All right, well, have a good day." <laughs> and <drove> off. <laughs> yeah dude it's it's crazy we normally have really good interactions my uh my freaking dad grandpa and great-grandpa we're all law enforcement so it's like i don't want people to think that i'm anti it's just you know sometimes we have weird interactions while hunting just because we live in a metro area and it's like you get a bunch of people that have never even shot a gun trying to well other than being in law enforcement you know talking about hunting and uh they just don't get it right so it's it's uh it's strange times but it's just part of what is uh entertaining about hunting man yeah so did you uh did you enter a call in the the recent contest of call nuts classic i did not man it is i didn't uh, think you did dude it freaking june and july are uh always crazy for me i have one daughter who has a birthday in the second week of june and then I have my other daughter's birthday was just this week. And then there's 4th of July in the middle of it. So, like, three out of four weeks, they are always crazy. So, yeah. yeah, I didn't end up entering one, and I knew I was going to catch backlash over it. Yeah, I thought it was a, it was really cool just um, having a contest that showed absolutely no bias, you know, in terms of... Um, the name of the, the person under the call it was just like here's the sound and uh, it, it really opened my eyes like I, ryan douglas i stayed with him at call palooza he you know he came down with rusty 
and he was kind of quiet and reserved and I had no idea that he even made duck calls or had duck calls you know and I'm looking at him like man that's a good looking call and and it obviously sounds really awesome too so it's pretty cool dude it was a really interesting format like you were talking about with the uh you know Mingo blowing everybody's call and putting it up with no kind of information on there and then when you saw the results, it was really cool. There were a lot of yeah. new guys on, yeah, you Nathan know. Pally. Nathan Pally was top ten. Yeah. He's, he's been doing know. it like three or four months. Uh, yeah. It's wild. I know. So it's just uh, it's pretty crazy to, 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 you know, hear these different calls and, and kind of, you know, there were several in the top 20 that guys that I'd never really even seen post any of their calls up and so I, I screenshot the list and I was like man I'm gonna try to start getting some of these guys calls that I've never even heard of before it's a really fun way of uh you know just keeping people engaged because everybody can stay in their own shop and you know do what they do and post up whatever on social media but having the contest man it makes it fun and uh with nobody being able to go anywhere no events this year no other competitions this year there's gonna there's gonna have to be another you know two or three of these freaking call making competitions over the mm-hmm. next six months. Yeah, Colton Thompson and I were talking the other day just via Facebook Messenger, but I thought and he and I both agreed that another cool thing to do would be, you know, because Mingo obviously is probably one of the best in terms of manipulating his air and making every call, you know bringing the potential out in every call you know what i mean but at the end of the day he still has a certain air presentation that he's like going to present you know he can't completely change it like that's just one thing i've found since i started making calls is just how much um or how many different ways you can present air into a call and how it can totally change the sound um so something that would would require a lot less logistics and uh you know a lot less mailing and stuff like that would be to have every call maker blow their own call in a video just like that like you're given a number by somebody like say i ran the contest i everybody messages me i immediately just send them a number you're 53 and so you put their phone face down and say 53 and then blow your call and then send me that video once i've got all the videos i post them all up just like domingo did yeah i was talking about doing uh something like that with uh with cory nikum the other day for a competition calling thing so that way people couldn't know and uh having everybody send it to like you said one person that's running it all and posting everybody's stuff because like you said there's so many different ways that people present air and i've said it on other podcasts before i've watched will shelley and uh michael meredith run the same call within two or three minutes of each other and both have different responses to it because the way that they present air and Mm have to figure it out so yeah there's definitely a lot of differences yeah yeah it would just it would require first of all i think it's really important to be able to hammer on your own duck call and blow it really well and i definitely don't even feel like i'm a top tenner in terms of that so but at the same time i like to think that i can at least you know 
somewhat put some air in my duck call and make it sound good. And it's the, the frustrating and worrisome thing for me is being able to blow a call that, that I feel like sounds really good and then send it to somebody that they feel like it's flat. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I know yeah. that it comes with the territory and some people aren't going to, it's not going to fit their style. But and I think we may have even talked about this or touched on it last time having a call that is user-friendly enough that it just sounds good and you know like we talked about the mig 17 and like a layers or larco or joe Lair style call it just has it's such a precision call you know the board everything cnc the laser cut reads everything's so perfect it just makes a nice clean sound it's easy to produce a good sound from it yeah that's uh you know one of the things like it's always funny when you you send a guy a call and then three days later you see it up on the trade block and you're like ah it doesn't fit how he how he wanted and then somebody else will get it on a trade and send me a message they're like hey dude i want to put in an order for a custom because i love the way this thing runs and it's just like there were times when i first started building that i would get like discouraged by it but then you just get to the point of thinking you know everybody runs it differently everybody presents it differently and uh, Bobby Hayes used to put up a lot of videos for like calling clinics and stuff like that. And he would take the same call, his you know one of his own calls, and take it. And he would teach guys because if you watch the old how to call videos that you know everybody used to put out on VHS or DVDs, whatever, they would you know have you say different words to get different sounds out. And that was how I started how to do it. And uh, I was just like, you know, okay, this makes sense. And then I stumbled onto uh, Bobby's videos from like back in 2012, 13. And he actually talks about tongue placement against his hand where he's showing your tongue and he's like, all right, these are your teeth. He's like, if you want it to be higher pitched, you know, pull your tongue back a little bit so you're choking the air off a little bit in your mouth, you know, where you're still presenting air and just showing different ways to manipulate the same exact call. Like, oh, do you want this call to be high-pitched or do you want it to be low-pitched? You, you know, making different ducks out of the same call versus having the exact same sound all the way through. And that was really a game-changer because it's probably just the way that I learn, you know, seeing that explanation versus saying, saying, you know, uh, ticka or some nonsense like that that everybody's heard their whole life learning how to blow a duck call where somebody's explaining it to you where it's actually the air manipulation and the pressure change. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, I've always said that, um, or not always, but recently, I guess, I would say that I've instructed people that it's like blowing hot air onto a window or a mirror. Like if you're trying to fog up a mirror and, and then using it in bursts, like... <laughs> You know, and and then yeah, your tongue, your your tongue is basically what's gonna cut your air off between the notes. You know, your tongue on the roof of your mouth. Um, and I would hope that most people do this. I, I posted about it before I even made duck calls, and there were a lot of mixed reviews about it. But I firmly believe that if your tone board's at the twelve o'clock position and your reeds underneath it. When you're blowing, you're gonna produce a better sound. And so, I mean, like, and I guess you could even turn it to where vice versa, like the tone board's on the six o'clock position. But if to me, and it may just be the way I present air, I don't know. 
and that may be one of the big factors in what makes the sound different you know versus somebody that gets no difference in sound but if i turn my tone board and read to where they're side by side when i blow through the call it just sounds so off and then i can twist it you know 90 degrees to where that tone board's up on top and the reeds underneath it and it's crisp and clear see i can tell you that as the average hunter goes you can like if i'm in a hunting situation i'm watching birds like i'm just picking up the call and blowing it i'm not worried super worried but if you watch a competition caller he's gonna look in there he looks up in there and he looks and makes sure everything is perfect in alignment and I don't competition call. That'd be a good one for one of them guys to talk about. But I think they do the same thing. I think they're having it at 12 o'clock, and I could be completely wrong. But it looks like, to me, they're looking down it to see if yeah. everything's in alignment. I've noticed that, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, think you say that. I think your theory is solid. For a hunting situation, I don't think it's as big of a deal. But for people who are really trying to push you know, and run a, a routine or something like mm-hmm. that, I think it, yeah, I think the theory is solid. Up until this year, I mean, I'm going to blow one of my calls, I guess, just because that's kind of what you do when you make duck calls. But, um, yeah, I wasn't making duck calls last duck season. I started in February. So I use a Larco, and you can feel, and the Larco is just basically a hybrid layers, the shape and everything, really. All the dimensions I've heard are pretty much exactly the same, but um, you can feel that home board with your tongue you can barely stick your tongue to the end of the barrel and kind of feel it so i'll kind of as i'm holding it to my mouth and when ducks are working i'll kind of i'll look in there sometimes and twist it around um and i feel like the larka makes a real big difference and i think it may have something to do with the end of the nose like if you look into a larka that uh, the end of your ramp has a really thick nose and I mean, I've got some Raggio calls. I've, I've got a couple of Raggio calls, and, and they're, I, I'm sure he has a couple of different jigs, and I've just gotten, you know, different versions. But I've got one that the ramp goes like down to flat. There's no nose at all on the end of it. And that call, you can kind of twist it in any direction, and it sounds pretty much the same. So that nose having the end on it may have something to do with the change. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. <laughs> Yeah, well, and it, the reason that, from the way that I've understood and done a lot of them, mine come to a pretty, not a point, but, you know, the, the, the ramp comes to, I don't know, within a quarter inch from being to a point. Um, but, like, my barrel dimensions, I run a 2.7-inch barrel. That's just kind of my standard. Every call is a 2.7. You might get a 2.6 or 2.71, something like that or 2.69 or 271 but that's where it's gonna be at um but i know like i i go based off of uh dlc just because that's what i had a ton of i was a big dlc collector um he runs his uh or he used to anyway his hand cut loud timber and his con artist are the same jig and they used to be or at least that's how they used to be but if you look at the dimensions of the call it's a significantly different barrel length by like a half inch and what he did was notch where that ramp starts getting further down and take that nose or take the uh, point off the uh, the insert ramp to shorten it down to where where the tone board starts in the barrel is still similar distance wise 
to where it would be if it was the full length barrel so that way you're keeping the call set back further in the barrel rather like if you have your call right now that you run and uh you make a barrel that's a half inch shorter it's going to bring that reed and everything a lot closer to your mouth so it's going to run a lot different but if you're if you're cutting that tip a little bit further down that tone channel i guess is still in the same spot i don't know i might be completely rambling but <laughs> no no I, I know where you're going I, my barrels change you know I, i've kind of always based my barrels based on the band width you know because the, the thicker band is gonna need a little bit longer barrel to look aesthetically pleasing you know right so but i'm also and i was using like a couple of different size bands now outside of i've been hammering quite a few bands just because i've ever since i got into call collecting i always liked hammered bands i just think they look like uh antique you know right and uh they that when you do that it bodes the, the band out in inside the hammer and in the width of the band oh yeah but yeah, I've I've pretty much honed in to about two point five five to two point six two is gonna be the length of my, my barrels. <laughs> mm, excuse me. Um, yeah, man, it's it's just figuring out because I can't remember who I was talking to, and uh, they make you know just their standard size size barrel, and uh, they made one in an old school fashion call just for fun. And they made like a crazy four inch long barrel, you know, kind of like one of those old school 40s, 50s looking calls. And they're like, I put my normal insert in that thing and it runs so different because it's just not, you know, everything is, it's made to run together. You designed your call to run it together. And uh, if you start making drastic changes, everything changes. So are you still working off a flat jig? Oh yeah, man. Yeah. Well, I've got a call sent off to be jigged. I was like thinking I'd get some feedback on this contest. You know, I sent uh, Domingo two inserts, and I was like, you know, for obviously for the contest, I can't submit two calls. So the one that's already put together, you know, that'll be my call for the entry. But here, try this other insert with it, you know, also. And I just would like some feedback on both of them. And, uh, it was like after I sent those two calls, I went through a string of calls where I made four or five that I was like, "Oh my god, I broke new ground. This is these are better, yeah. way better than the, the one I sent." Yep. I almost was like gonna send Mingo a message like, "Hey, can I submit another one and just throw those away?" And I was like, "You know what? No, I'm just gonna roll with it. They were still good calls, but I've made some better ones. And I made one for my father-in-law for Father's Day. My wife." Uh, came to me like I don't know six hours before he was going to come over to eat and was like hey did you make my dad a duck call like we talked about it's like <laughs> we didn't talk about it but uh, I'll go make the duck call so um, I threw a coca bola call together and just nailed it like right out the gate I don't even think it I think it was like first pass I sat there and filed on it and sanded on it and I got it I was like looking at it I was like this looks like it and I put a reed in there and took it in the living room and started blowing on it I was like this call it feels good 
You know right. what I mean? Like there's, right. it's it's one thing to make calls sound good, but when you when it feels good to blow it, it's got to have the right amount of back pressure, the right amount of hold. There's just a feel that is different than the sound. That um, you know, you can manipulate your air enough to make it sound like a duck, but if you if you blow it effortlessly and you just love blowing it that's a totally different thing and I was like this is it so my father-in-law got to our house I cooked him lunch and I was like hey here happy Father's Day I'm gonna need that call back <laughs> yeah right this one this one's getting saved for a minute I'll make you another one yeah he well he was like well um you know hey if you know that's your best selling call you ever made and you're gonna get a jig made off of it just make me another one keep that one I was like well I already signed happy father's day into the back of the tone board and I don't even like sign names in my tone boards I don't I need to and probably will try to once I get a jig and try to number them starting with like the first one I off my custom jig but I was like look it'll be cool I know you'll be the, the you'll be somebody that holds on to it so you know it'd be cool my father-in-law has my prototype and if uh something ever happens to him or he you know ever just wants to give it back to me he can and i know he'll always have it so i hope that that it comes back as good as the call sounded you know every material is different hedge and african blackwood so that just happened to be a coca bolo which i like cocoa but um it is you know it's right there in between hedge and abw on like the softness and mm-hmm. because of that, the tone. Um, but, you know, it's always kind of just in the back of your mind, like, man, is that jig going to sound good for every wood? <laughs> man, the way that I've had, uh, you know, I have so many people reach out to me when they hear that how adamant I am on my flat jigging. And they're like, what you have to understand is once you get your jig made, is every call that you're going to put in there going to sound the exact same? No, but it's going to give you that starting point. Right. to where it'll just save you a ton of time in your manipulation because every call you're going to tune by ear even yeah. uh, the one coming off the jig it's just going to give you a really clean starting point and then you can start really playing with different back pressures and stuff like that with the same tone board and adjust that tone channel length, the barrel length just those little tiny changes to make it even better I agree. Yeah, that's and that was kind of what made me want to go ahead and pull the trigger because in the back of my mind, and I know you feel the same way because you've been on a flat jig for a long time. But every time you make a call, it's like becomes almost like your favorite call. Oh yeah, it's just like yeah, I hate to send this off, and then three days later I make a call and I'm like, oh, should I send this one? So, but but like you said, it's a it's a starting point. It puts you. Uh, not having to start off at flat and that's just become a, a tedious task that I'm ready to get away from for sure yeah brother yeah Sorry. for sure you're good but uh yeah it's uh I actually had a customer send one back to me and he's been hitting me up for six months he's like dude you need to get this one jigged you need to get this one jigged he has like four or five others he's like this is my favorite one I was like honestly I don't even remember that one specifically you know I've tuned 150 since then um send it back to me let's see it i pulled it out and i had been working on a call that day when the mail got there and uh i ran it and i was like yeah it runs really good i really like the way this thing runs i was like honestly the one i'm working on right now 
I like that a lot more. <laughs> it's yeah. that constant battle of just deciding, okay, this is what's going on. This is it's going. I can make any kind of adjustments with it when I get the jig back. I can play and uh, modify off of that, but it's going to save my hands so much work. Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it gives you, you know, if you can get it almost perfect on a custom jig, then you have just uh, so much more of a symmetrical and, and flat you know, level uh, tone board when you're on a flat jig I mean I gotta admit like sometimes it's you don't want to touch it it sounds so good and you look in there and it's a little bit crooked it's just not quite perfect you know like what do you do do you keep on trying to get the read perfectly level to where it looks you know just on the money or and you know, keep messing with the sound, or do you just like, hey, it sounds great, let's roll with it. So, if it does everything that I want it to do, I'm not going to keep messing with it because it, like you said, it is. It's so easy when you're attacking that flat tone board to make sure everything is staying parallel, level, your ramp is going up the same amount on each side. Like, it is a slow, slow, methodical process. Because if it gets starts going wonky one way or the other, you're in recovery mode, hoping that you have enough material to save it before it gets oh, yeah. too far out of whack. And it's like, it just, and if you have, you know, the tone channel just goes slightly off one way or the other way, that completely messes up my eyes and looking at how the ramp is adjusting. Because yes. I've seen so many RNTs that have gone out that run like freaking tops. And their tone channel is slightly off center. It happens all the time with wood calls. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't affect sound at all. But flat jigging one like that is, it makes the process, you know, twice as hard. Oh, yeah. I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I had one other day that I kept on filing. I kept on sanding. And it, every time I looked down at it, I was like, this thing is so crooked. What is going on? Have I forgotten how to do this? And then I looked at it and it was like, that tone channel is completely off-centered and it's thrown my whole perception of the end of like looking at the read on the board and by that point it was you know it's not salvageable. too far gone yeah you know, was, exactly so yeah that's uh it's just that's crazy yeah man it's just part of the process but uh we're coming up on your time cut off, brother. It's been a, uh, it's been good to get back on here. Yeah, man. And um, you know, whenever uh, hunting season rolls around, let's let's get together and talk about some hunting. You know, it's, yeah. it's hard to talk about hunting when it's a hundred degrees outside. But yeah, man, it's it's definitely a pain in the butt to think about, and being out in the shop is even more. But uh, it's it's coming here, man. The summer is halfway over. Yes, I know. I'm looking forward to it. But, but uh, well, good deal, man. It was good talking to you again and keep in touch. All right, brother. You take care of yourself and you keep All making right. some killers, man. Uh, you too, bud. All right, bud. Talk take to you care. Later. Bye. Bye. All right, guys. Brad Eldridge. He's uh, he's really done good, man. This last six, seven months. He said in February. I'm no mathematician. I think five months. He's done a good job and uh, it was a fun one. So make sure you jump on social media, check out that duck call. You got another five or six days to get in on the giveaway. Um, yeah, share that sucker, subscribe, leave us a review. I appreciate it. Hope you guys have a good.